Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by the five day vendor master file cleanup. Do you trust the data in your vendor master file? Well, if you have less than 5,000 active vendor records and need to prepare for a vendor self-registration portal or for 1099 and 1042 IRS annual forms distribution, you are in luck. We have vendor validations, including watch list screening, duplicate vendor review, vendor inactivation recommendations, and more. Go to DebraRRichardson.com, that's D-E-B-R-A-R-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N.com slash consulting, or email me at Debra, D-E-B-R-A, at Debra rrichardson.com for a quote today. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the lessons we can learn from an incident where an employee stole millions of dollars via ACH, wire transfers, and credit card payments over a three-year period before being caught. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 64, Lessons Learned from One Government Incident to Prevent Employee Fraud. So an ex-employee of the Pierce County Housing Authority stole almost $7 million from that agency. According to the article, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, the agency provided affordable housing for low-income families. Now, the employee worked there for 20 years, which reminds me of a similar incident with another 20-year employee of a government agency that also had a small finance team. And that person was profiled in the documentary, All the Queen's Horses, which is still on Netflix as we speak or as of this podcast published date. But they remind me of each other because both were finance leaders of a small public office and stole money over several years before being caught. Now, the Pierce County Housing Authority ex-employee was hired in 1998 and caught and fired in August of 2019. So let's first look at it from the governmental occupational fraud or employee fraud angle. So this is really textbook for government occupational fraud. Um, The article linked to the fraud investigation report that was issued by the auditors and that report provided um, three key details among other details that really relate to the 
uh, Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, or ACFE, to their report to the nations, their uh, 2018 report to the nations, the government edition. So the first one was the length of employment. So her length of employment was 20 years, and her fraud actually, though, did not start until 2016, but she was still employed there for 20 years. And what the report from the ACFE says is that fraudsters who have been with their organizations significantly longer stole significantly more. Now, this is just my opinion, but I would assume that an employee that has been there longer one knows where the gaps are so they know where and how to get past or over some um, whatever controls they currently have and then also they are probably a trusted employee and they may have more access to systems to processes to people that will allow them to do things that a newer employee would not do. And this brings up a great point. If you ever have long-term employees or employees that move from department to department, please remember to remove their their previous access so that there can't be a segregation of duties issue. And also they just don't need that access anymore. So please remove it. And what's funny is everyone kind of remembers to do that. There's probably processes to do it as uh, employees are terminated, but it's less so when that employee transfers. So please um, remove access as your employees move around the company as they should do to gain more skills or for promotional opportunities. Now the second one was uh, the fraud investigation report found that the fraud was committed via asset misappropriation. So it means you misappropriated funds. And the ACFE report indicates that asset misappropriation is true in 88% of the cases. And then finally, the third one is that um, according to the fraud investigation report, the um, fraud was detected during an internal audit. And that makes sense against the ACFE's 2018 report to the nation's government edition that said internal audit um, was 15% and that is the method of how it's detected and that 15% represents the second highest detection method which the first highest is um, tips so internal audit 15% second highest detection method and that's how this person was caught so again, this was textbook government occupational fraud. Next, let's look at the breakdown of the millions that she stole, how she stole it, and then what could have been done to prevent it? What lessons can we learn or glean from that incident? And by the way, she stole a total of $6,948,277 over a three-year period and a reminder that she stole it from an agency that provided affordable housing for low-income families so just think about the fact that that's you know seven million dollars taken away from that purpose and not only that it was actually taken away from um, taxpayer funds that were provided for that purpose now if you're not a government agency and you are a company maybe your nonprofit or even if it is 
a for-profit company, it's taking funds away from your profits. The whole point here is to say that no matter what type of company, public, private, um, nonprofit, profit, there is still, this is still a significant amount of funds that could have been used for another purpose. So let's see how you can protect those um, based upon how the money was stolen. So the first way was through ACH payments. And this employee changed the vendor's banking information to their personal banking account and sent fraudulent invoices for payment totaling $3.2 million. So how could that have been avoided? Well, create a banking form and require it to be submitted for all changes in banking. Make sure that it is attached to the vendor record once the changes are completed. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the next thing to do is to validate the bank account holder and bank account ownership matches the vendor legal name. You can see more information um, on earlywarning.com or guyac.com, and I'll leave a link to both of those in the show notes. And then the third way is to remove edit access to vendor records from those that approve changes. So you either require approval of changes before they are saved or have an independent review of all vendor changes prior to the next pay cycle. And then the fourth way is just to call the vendor and confirm all changes to the vendor record. Now the last one is to notify the vendor of changes to the vendor record, especially when there's a banking change, just send an automated notification um, to their email address so that if they did not initiate the change, they can contact you. And I do have a podcast episode on that very topic, episode 42, send a notification to vendors after updates in the vendor master file. Again, that's episode 42. So all of these processes either one, notify the vendor that the changes are being made to their vendor record or provide supporting documentation so that if a change was made and the vendor record did not have or include that supporting documentation, then that could be an indicator of fraud that would be found either prior to the approval of changes on the vendor record or prior to payment in the next pay cycle. So the second way that funds were stolen or misappropriated was through wire transfers. And in this case, there was $3 million that were sent directly to the finance director's bank account. And then there were there was six hundred and thirty five thousand that was sent to third parties. So the first way that you can protect your company or your government agency is just require the same processes for ACH payments. They're both bank accounts um, and the banking information for payment. In some cases, the um, routing number may be different because some banks have different routing numbers for ACHs and some have different routing numbers for wire payments. Um, but 
keep the processes the same and that's even when there is a separate system used by accounts payable or treasury to enter those banking details and make payments and i know in some companies you do have separate systems for that for uh, wire payments so you'll record the payments in the erp or accounting system and then the payments are uh, uh, essentially uh, picked up in the pay file but it doesn't really go anywhere because the banking information and the payment itself is sent into um, this separate third-party system so just make sure though that you're following the same protocols and you're not just going to that third-party system because then you can circumvent all of the internal controls and best practices we just talked about uh, under ACH payments and keep in mind, there's still banking information or bank changes, whether it's a wire or ACH payment, whether it's in the same system or in a separate system. But, you know, in addition to following all the same processes as ACH payments, you might want to consider if this works for your company or government agency to require a contract or approval in writing to use that wire transfer payment method. That is the most expensive way to pay a vendor. And if that vendor can accept ACH, then that's one less system that you have to go into and less money it's going to cost to make that payment. Now, another way, um, a third way that you can protect yourself with the wire transfers is that if your bank offers this service, uh, and I'm not sure how many do and how many don't, but some will um, allow a, an approval call required for all wire transfers. And on that same note, not even within the bank, but within your company. You know, the next one is to require multiple approvers for all wire transfers. And this not only protects you from internal fraud, but it also protects you from those BEC scams, the business email compromise scams. They always want you to wire money. They make you they make you think they are the vendor. You change their information and then you find out you've wired money to a uh, cyber criminal. So require multiple approvals for all wire transfers. At least someone is going to be able to take all that information that you collected as part of your ACH um, uh, protocols and they are going to review those and if it is fraudulent uh, at least you've got multiple eyes looking at. And then the last way that funds were misappropriated or stolen was through credit card payments. That was uh, 25K, so it wasn't as much as the ACH payments or the wire transfers, but it was uh, a misuse of the credit card that was given for company use. So for this one, I went to my colleague, Lynn Larson of Recharged Education, and she is an expert on company cards. I will put a link to her website in the show notes, and she stresses the importance of key controls. And I quote from her, every cardholder, no matter their job title, should have a manager approver who reviews their card activity at least monthly. The person who fulfills this role should be at least one functional job level higher than the cardholder and properly trained on what to look for when reviewing cardholder transactions. There should be an independent audit process each month. 
ideally performed or aided by technology. And that's in quote. So we thank Lynn for her advice and for additional information about card program controls. I will put a link to her website in the show notes. So for all of these internal controls, best practices, processes to keep your taxpayer funds or your company profits or your operating budget from being um, stolen or misappropriated by internal employees, it's also important in order for all of this to work, it's important to document your processes so that you can make them auditable. If your government agency or company does not currently audit vendor setup and maintenance processes, consider starting. Now, I know it exists in some companies where there are audits, and in fact, with um, this state agency, they did have audits every year, but they didn't catch it. And sometimes it's because the level of audit that is done does not go down far enough in accounts payable to include those vendor maintenance processes. If you don't have your uh, vendor setup and maintenance desktop procedures or processes documented, I will leave a link to a blog post I wrote to get your vendor setup and maintenance desktop procedures in order. And within that, um, you will have the opportunity to download a desktop procedure template that will get you started. Thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 64th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.